Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And tonight we talk to the chairman and co-founder of eMovement, a rights-holding business incorporated in South Africa that uses events such as the eFest to advocate renewable energy and e-mobility solutions and also secure the rights to the first Formula E race right here in South Africa. Ian Banner, welcome to the show once again. Thanks for your time. Louis, it's wonderful to be on with you and your listeners as always. Lovely. Let's go back to 2023, shall we? Um, What a success, what an event, and great, great reviews. Best of all, wasn't it? I'm pleased to say that the annual poll of both people inside the ropes, let's call it, people involved, journalists like you, uh, public, voted us the number one race of the year out of 17, which for a rookie a rookie event is a great privilege and a testament to not only Cape Town's beauty, but the track that was built and the tremendous team that worked so hard collectively from the city, from the province, our team, etc. Just great. I remember almost a year ago to the day, you and I having a conversation just about a month or so away from uh, the race itself. Obviously, you were extremely busy at the time. The hype and the excitement around the event, as well as the conference that was going to be happening, was just absolutely off the charts. Yeah. The important thing you touched on there, Louis, is, you know, you say conference. I think if I may just sketch the scene, when we looked at Formula E, I made it clear to my partners that from my experience, it was impossible just to do a race on its own. Number one, commercially. And number two, there was an opportunity to make a difference in our country beyond just staging the race. And that's when we determined we would become a movement for change, a movement for good. And it's anchored through Go Green Africa, which is a not-for-profit we've set up with big companies involved now. And the highlights are Africa's Green Economy Summit, which is happening annually now. It's going to its second year now. 21 to 23 February, double the number of people attending. Our Formula Student Africa with nine universities on board under the um, support and watchful eye of two international universities, being Warwick and one other. And they actually are running uh, programs that are educating children, uh, young students on data science and on the things that are required to build ECOS. Very important skills development for our automotive industry. That's a big part of our economy. And then, of course, we have our electric festival, which showcases to the public all things E, way beyond just cars, bicycles, one-wheelers, scooters, charging solutions. We'll talk about that. And then finally, I see the race as the celebration at the end of all of that to showcase what's achievable at net zero and at the very pinnacle of sustainable motor racing. And obviously, uh, a year on, we would have hoped that we would have had some progress in what people around the rest of the world don't understand is our load shedding situation here in South Africa. Just remind everybody what was given back to not only the city of Cape Town, but to South Africa as a whole from an E point of view, which obviously has slightly lightened the load, but has given huge opportunities going forward for entrepreneurs in South Africa because of our electricity problem. Yeah, you know, it's a double-edged sword, this, this, this electricity crisis. The bottom line is that no good crisis should go and you should not lose the opportunity to take, to take advantage of a good crisis. And that is what this is. It's incredibly uncomfortable. It's terrible in as much as it's costing jobs, etc. But ultimately, it's forcing a transition away from being dependent on a monopoly. And it's happening incredibly quickly. And we are trying to be an agent in the middle of trying to help the acceleration for change. I'll give you one great example that might surprise your listeners. There is something called off-grid micro 
energy development and, and transmission. So microgrids are essentially containers that house solar panels and batteries and a control mechanism and system. And we were castigated for having Eskim as a supporter last year because they came onto our electric festival. But what they were doing was showcasing their microgrid solution. Now, that is the system that will ultimately drive the, the five remaining power stations that are viable, that are, you know, um, when they come off coal. And what it is doing currently when it went through its test, for example, in the Northern Cape, Eskim's microgrid, one single microgrid, is powering 55 houses that have never, ever had electricity. So people can't, well, they can on a fire, boil a hot water or have a shower, iron a shirt. Those people now have some dignity because they have access to electricity. And guess what? The total cost of that microgrid is 3.1 million rand. The equivalent on-grid solution, which would have connected them to the existing infrastructure, would have cost 327 million rand. And in the efforts to provide electricity to all, that would have been under consideration. It's less than 1% of the cost. So microgrid technology has a huge future. Nobody knew about it. We had Nick Singh and his team from Eskom displaying it. It's the first positive press I think Eskom have had in 15 years. But it's not all bad within Eskom. There's lots of challenges. There's lots of issues. There's huge politics. There's all this corruption. It's desperate. It's a horrible situation. But there are some silver rays that shine in that organization. And Nick Singh and his team are, are one such ray. Let's just remind everybody of what a legacy, if I may use the word, was left behind after last year's race in terms of the city of Cape Town, in terms of the police and so on? Yeah. Well, I mean, small little things that, that I'll mention. For example, I arranged for Green Rides, which is a, a provider of bicycles, electric bicycles, Green Riders, to – they ran up and down from Cape Town up the, up into Bloberg and beyond. They had a fleet of delivery agents – on electric bicycles that were branded Formula E. And I arranged a fleet of 15 bicycles for the police so that for the month around the race, they could test e-mobility. So we had officers at first, they had to do training. There was some resistance, but finally people got to understand this is a brilliant way to move around, no noise, seamlessly get around, respond to calls very efficiently and quickly, a fraction of the cost of a motor car. So that's on the policing side, just one little example. On the economic front, we had an economic impact as verified by our independent Nielsen's, who are a big global agency that do this impact uh, assessment work. And there was a 1,08 billion rand economic impact for South Africa, the majority of it in Cape Town from the race. These are big numbers. And this is in year one. We're just getting started. So it's very much, Nick, it's not a, it's not a one-shot which we'll talk about. It's all about building over the next 10 years. And I can tell you the legacy stuff that's going to flow, I'm excited about. It's, there's some really big stuff in the pipeline. And that's the kind of leverage that we are able to, 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 to use to bring about a wonderful change in the country. And lastly, to show South Africans who are glum and concerned about the country, again, with good reason, but that we can do things to an international standard as well off and, and often I would like to think better than on the international stage here on the tip of Africa. Let's celebrate that. And I've seen the lift in people's spirits when they looked at it and thought, wow, we've got a, a, an open wheel race on the streets, never done before, an incredible track, all these global drivers. These are the icons of today who are out here, you know, going head to head. And it's, yeah, it's pretty cool, if I may say.
And then brings me to the most pertinent question of all. After all of what we've spoken about, there's no race this year. Why? That's very easy to answer. Last year's race comprised capex costs, capital expenditure, five bridges, um, barriers and fences, 7.8 kilometers of barriers and fences, 2,104.2 ton concrete barriers, 487 tons of steel to make the fencing, 16 kilometers of fencing to surround and secure the place. This is a mega undertaking. So the, the capex, the 12 garages that had to be built, that are all packed away and the stuff is waiting for the next round. So there's a massive bill that we incurred on the capex side. Then you have what's called OPEX, operating expenditure for the race itself, which is a huge number. And quite simply, to come off the back of doing that last year, and everything else I've mentioned, by the way, is not ideas, it's all happening. We need 2024 to build all of these elements commercially, to bring in all the commercial support, to make it sustainable in the long term, to put the race on again. So we made a conscious decision. There's no need for us to rush into doing it again in 2024. We thought let's rather build these elements and drive for 25. So that was a conscious decision, you know, which does make sense. And that's the reason we made it. So excuse the pun. So 2024 is a renewable year to build up the capabilities to take 2025. You've hit the nail on the head because this is almost just think of a circle and think of a circular economy. It is about renewal and it is about feeding one to the next to the next to the next to get to the celebration. We go again and we keep building that circle bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, you and I have been involved in different ways in motorsport in South Africa and the South African public have been, let's be honest, first of all, deprived of motorsport and outside of your event, which was so well supported, other events in South Africa, I mean, there was just recently a nine-hour endurance race at Kailami where there was as many people as there were, you know, watching a, a four-day cricket match in South Africa, which is a great disappointment. Yet the yeah. South African public are forever complaining when we don't have events. Absolutely. There's a disjunct there, Nick, and it's all, I think it's to do with the fact that when we were kids going to watch in the very old days john love and co-racing yeah. you know one race or then uh you know getting through to 76 with jody Schechter winning you know the world championship etc those were exciting times in those days you know the drivers used to love coming john rothman had the place the ranch or whatever it was done not today's ranch the ranch then where they all stay. It was a people camped for four days. That's what they did. It was a family outing, you know, and it was a different era, a different time. Now you can watch it all on television. You, you don't have to worry with the parking and the, you know, all those elements and the costs associated with being there. You see such intimate imagery. So it's become for me now that we have to, motorsport has to respond to that. So you've got to create a lifestyle event. You've got to have more than just a race. You've got to create a whole ecosystem that people are excited to be at. We got a bit lucky somehow. I think we managed to do that because we've had very, very positive feedback. And I'm very confident. I'm hoping we can create twice the number of seats and twice the amount of hospitality for the next time because I think we'll have a response and we'll sell out quite quickly. Yeah, and I say I think we've struck a chord. It's, people are looking for something like this. I think what you've forgotten to mention also was that in those days of John Love and Jody Schechter, the rand was just a little stronger than the dollar, to say the least. So it was a lot easier to put events like that on. But as the old saying and the cliche is, the show must go on. It is going on this year. It's the 10th year of, of Formula E. Uh, bar Africa and Australia, they're still getting around the world to all the continents. 
Absolutely. I mean, the sports on, you know, is growing. Japan being added is huge. As you know, it's a big automotive industry who've elected to go with hydrogen rather than batteries. But this is a, a drive into that automotive economy. You know, the Japanese are fantastic fans. They love watching stuff like this. And there's no doubt that, uh, you know, come 2030, the 420,000 vehicles that we export to Europe a year all have to be e-cars. So, the market's going to change very, very quickly. And if you've, like me, had the privilege of driving an e-car, I've had it for five years. It's the best car I've ever had, and I've had some really cool cars, and I'm a petrol head. But the experience is better, frankly. It's easier, it's fresher, it's instant, the torque's amazing. The turning circle is different. I mean, just because you've got no drivetrain, it's amazing. And so once people start ex experiencing this over time, more and more people are going to understand Formula E. It is, in my view, it's the present and the future. It has to be because combustion is done, sadly, other than the vintage and the special old cars and all that kind of stuff in the future. In a very short time, that's what, the diff what, what it's going to come down to. And I think we are seeing that because you see all of these initiatives for E, electronic racing cars, rally cross. Um, there's that series that they hold in the deserts and on the beaches around the world. And it's yes. exciting. I mean, it's not just, you know, that, that horrible noise that people were going, ah, but it doesn't sound like a... When cars are doing the speeds that the e-cars are doing, that's dangerous, irrespective of what the noise is. Absolutely correct. 100%. You know, DaCosta's undertake past his old teammate with three laps to go in, in our race. In fact, with one lap to go, he got past him. And both three and one lap, he did the same undertake on turn nine. It is a move that... Honestly, that Nigel Mansell or Alan Prost uh, or Ayrton Senna would have been extremely proud of. You know, it's on YouTube. I understand it's it's performing extremely well because it was millimeters from a massive disaster, and he pulled it off twice. Felix Acosta to win the race. That that's wheel to wheel racing. The only reason he was able to get past John Eric Verne or Jeb as they call him, who drives a bus, he's so wide, nobody can get past him. He's a brilliant defensive driver but was because there's a blind spot in the mirror. And Costa knew that he could park in that for a second and then take his moment, which he did, uh, to overtake his old teammate. It was brilliant driving, absolutely stunning. So fortunately, Capeton was voted as well. That was the best overtake or undertake of the year, and with good reason. So the racing credentials of the track are there and proven, and people are talking about it. So I think it's got a very exciting future. And people should know, too, that, Formula E globally is backed by Liberty Media. They are also ultimately the owners of Formula One. So I think they yeah. sense of covering both bases. You know, I went to a rugby game, I think it was about two months or so after your event, and I saw yeah. the pits, the, the paintings on the road, and, and even some of the barriers and so on were still there. How, and if you do need to redo all that for 2025, or is that sort of kind of semi-permanent or is the expense going to be almost the same as what it was to put it on in the first place no no so the capex for the road is done and dusted it's there the track's there there may be a few little modifications or upgrades required but in terms of surface and in terms of width of road and in terms of all the engineering aspects they're all done so the good news is we bring in all the barriers and the fences and the safety elements to create the track to formalize the track again, which are in storage now. So it is, you know, it's a lift, a lift and shift, let's call it, um, of all the kit, and then you take it back out again. 
So those, that's like a Lego block, that system. Where would you be able to put more spectators in? You yeah. are limited, aren't you? It is limited, but there's some additional space on the fields at Hamilton's and and the cricket ground, etc. So we, we are busy reviewing the overlay currently. We had 22,000 seats that were sold, or 21,876 to be exact. And we had, um, we believe, so let's call it 22,000. I would love to think we can get it up to 40. I think I'm, I'm being optimistic. Maybe it's 36 or thereabouts. I'm not sure. But as you correctly point out, every seat has to be built. So, you know, it's a, it's a big undertaking. Finding 36,000 seats ain't so easy either. We had to build a whole lot of new stuff with our partners in that regard to be able to do the 22,000. So, but these are nice challenges. I, I, I'd love to be in a position where I'm really sorry, folks, we sold out and we just had capacity of the venue, cannot add more seats. Wouldn't that be a nice position? And I think we'll get there. I really do. And we're looking carefully at the hospitality and all of that. So fan zones, how do you create it? We've got the main stadium, which sits empty because it is surrounded. How do we activate that potential for fans? Then you've only got a, con- a temporary bridge to get to it, so you can't move large numbers of people. So lots of considerations, but also lots of opportunity. As a son of the Mother City, um, I'm hoping that the contract is signed for 2025 and it's going to be in the Mother City. You wouldn't have put all the infrastructure in to move it anywhere <laughs> else, would you? No, it's not going anywhere else in South Africa. That I can assure you. This has proven itself. The Fortunately, the feedback from within the ecosystem of Formula E is incredible. The drivers, the management, the sponsors, the everybody, they all want to come to Cape Town. I mean, Cape Town is pistol hot right now. It's amazing. And having the best season ever with good reason. I mean, I'll say it very clearly. Alan Windy runs a business in running the Western Cape. Jordan Hill Lewis runs a business in running the city of Cape Town. These are people who are experts at what they do. They are extremely disciplined, and they get the results. And and the results are good infrastructure. Things work. Looks great. It's beautiful, naturally, but it could be beautiful and have no infrastructure or creaking and potholes, but we don't have that. I took a drive from Neisner to the Swat Bag and on the way back sat at a friend's farm and ended up on a road, I want to say, between Lutzville and someplace I've never heard of. Honestly, Louis. We drove for 25 kilometers on a road that you could have raced the Formula E cars on. It was so good. Not a single car pass, farming on each side. The infrastructure is unbelievable in this province. So why can't we have it like that everywhere in the country? And the answer is we can if we get the right people to run the country. Well, that brings me to my next question. I mean, this is an election year, and I guess, fingers crossed, there's not going to be a change in the operations of the Western Cape, certainly, and hopefully, as you mentioned, the rest of the country can benefit from how this province is run. Absolutely. You know, and it's not a question of which party or this party or that party. It's just a question of competence. Find competent people, put them in the right positions, have a plan, and then execute. I've learned in business, there's no science. It doesn't matter what industry you work in. The principles are all the same. You need discipline, you need commitment, and you, most importantly, you need a plan. And then, and many wars are won Going with a plan that may, may, may not be 100% right, but there's such commitment to realizing it that you end up winning the battle anyway. So, I mean, the potential in this country is, is absolutely staggering. So one race already um, in Mexico. Your thoughts for the season? Going to be as exciting as last year? Yeah, I think it'll be more exciting. I think, you know, there's, the teams are getting better. Um, as you know, about all the privateers run. So let's take, for example, Jaguars, you know, a power trailer is used by, by yeah. Envision. And uh, Envision have done an amazing job. I mean, 
but you've got you've got Porsche, you know, that runs in uh, several of the privateers as well. So it's very much a question of looking at the technology, who's got what, and the advantage of the bigger teams have, let's call it the, the majors, is what they put on top of that technology and build the data science. So, you know, stacking on top of that, all the software, et cetera. That's where the real edge comes. And then you've got the drivers who are getting better and better at moving these cars around. I've had a little insight into what it takes to drive one of these cars. It's not easy. Uh, there's, you know, you've got to almost pivot the car in the corners to get it in the correct, you know, it, with a, a combustion engine, you, you can skid around a corner. You don't want to keep a tight line so you don't lose too, you know, too much scrub, but you can skid around a corner. Here, you can't really do that. You've got to pivot and go. And the reason for that is the torque is so instant. The minute you accelerate, you've got to be in the right direction. So I've watched a couple of the drivers and seen how good they are at this little mini pivot. Difficult to see, but when you get to understand how it all works, it's fascinating. So lots of good drivers. They describe it as the most competitive field of drivers in any motor racing in the world. And I'm not uh, qualified to, to challenge that. I'll take it from whence it comes. But these guys are really good at what they're doing. And I'd love to see a girl in the mix. I'd like to see some ladies joining them. You know, the fray. Who knows? Maybe this season is the year. Well, I don't think many people would have thought that the likes of uh, McLaren and Andretti and Penske would be involved in racing like this 10 years ago. They're already there. So who knows? There might be, uh, or there could be a female driver, maybe a, I don't know, a South African team sponsored by Escom, tongue in cheek. There's a possibility <laughs> there. I guess that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Let's see. Ian, it's always a pleasure chatting to you. Um, I know a year sounds like a long time in most people's lives, but in yours, it's around the corner, 2025, uh, Cape Town Formula E. It truly is, Louis. Time, as we all know, particularly as we get a little bit older, it goes too fast. So we furiously are planning the minute I come off with you. We've got some international calls. We're in the hot seat and we're working hard. And I, I encourage people to look out for Africa's Green Economy Summit. My mission is for that to become the mining and dab of the green economy. So we had 351 delegates, seven to 800 delegates this year. I'd like to see it double every year. And not only attendance is important, but impact is important. So, you know, we've got some very substantial financiers, et cetera, involved. The African Development Bank has got actively involved. And this is about money going into the economy in the green space. And that's what's going to allow both young and old entrepreneurs to build new businesses to serve this modern economy. So that's very exciting, yeah. And always exciting to chat to you again, Banner. Thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure we'll chat and catch up as to how things are going later on in the year. So there you are. Now you know it's 2025 Formula E, and I'm so glad to say once again it will be in the Mother City Cape Town. That's tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Don't forget to join us for another edition tomorrow evening. Until then. Be nice to each other. Bye for now.